Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is The Upper Room by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, I thank you for your, your patience with us. Lord, I pray that you would take this word and sow it deep in our hearts, that, Lord, it may grow and produce a harvest in our hearts and in our lives. For your glory, we pray. Father, open our eyes and open our ears, I pray, in your glorious name. Amen. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, you'd like to meet me at Acts chapter 1 this morning. Teenagers, uh, Uncle Steve is waiting for you at the back. I did forget, excuse me. Thank you, teenagers. Uh, This morning, if you've got your Bibles, you'd like to meet me in Acts chapter 1. Over the next few weeks, uh, I feel led to work through the first few chapters of the book of Acts. I believe the Lord has a message for us as individuals, but also a message for us as a church. And often when we think about the book of Acts, our minds immediately go to Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost. And so over the next couple of weeks, I want to have a look at what does Pentecost actually mean? You might hear terms like Pentecostal, Pentecostalism, charismatic. I've got some good news this morning. There's not different variations of the Holy Spirit. They're words that man has made up uh, along the way to uh, define certain beliefs. We have one Holy Spirit. The good news of Pentecost is that the promise of the Holy Spirit was made available to all of us. Just a couple of things before we go any further. First thing is, some people say the book of Acts is the fifth gospel. It's not the fifth gospel. Other people say that this should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, but I would kind of disagree because the Holy Spirit has been acting very prevalently since the book of Genesis. But the book of Acts is the book about the birth of the church. It's written by a man by the name of Luke, and we know Luke from Luke's gospel. Let's read the first few verses just so we can get the context and the setting that we're coming to. In the first book, O Theophilus, we don't really know fully who Theophilus is. We know he was somebody important, uh, like myself. Uh, He was some... God bless you all. Uh, We do know he was someone important and we do know that Luke was charged to write the Gospel of Luke by Theophilus. Because Theophilus had heard all about this Jesus, so he charges Luke, who was a physician, by the way, to go and and do a historical account. Great historian, by the way. Luke now writes the book of Acts, not from a historical perspective, but from a first-person perspective. He will end up travelling on the missionary journeys with Paul. Um, So after the first few chapters, he he drifts and follows Paul on the birth of the church. Uh, some things we need to know before we go any further. This is the birth of the church. We see strong evidence in the book of Acts of the believers coming together. Uh, We are told that they met daily in the temple and that they met from house to house. This is uh, Paul plants churches as he goes around Asia Minor. This is the birth of the church, which is enormously important as we unpack what does Pentecost mean. It doesn't mean we drink a different flavour of kale tea to everybody else. It means... Something far more deep and profound. As we come to Acts chapter 1, because you don't get to Acts chapter 2 without Acts chapter 1. And I strongly believe there is a message in Acts chapter 1 for every one of us in this room this morning. I believe that this is a message for us as a church. But I I get the privilege, what's one word you could use, I get the privilege every year of attending the A2A conference on the Gold Coast. And they often hold the conference 
uh, in uh, pretty much the same location, different hotels in the same location, which means normally what I do is I just book the same hotel every year. So every year I book the same hotel, and right next to the hotel that I booked, it began with a blank piece of ground. There was nothing there, uh, just an empty block of dirt and grass. And then the next year I went, there was all these fences up and there was a lot of noise going on behind the fences. I didn't have a whole lot of knowledge of what was going on, but there was all this noise going on behind the fences and there were these billboards with pictures of this new hotel that they were going to be building. And then come the next year, the same fence is there, there's still all of this apparent noise, but I can't see any hotel. We're two years in, right? And I can't see any hotel. And I'm beginning to think to myself, are these guys actually even doing anything? Was there a stop work meeting? Uh, What's going on here? And I then had a room which overlooked that blank piece of ground for the first time. And I was able to see that, in fact, for the last two years, they had been working very hard. But they had been digging down. They'd been taking out all of the old dirt, all of the unwanted dirt that was on the soil. They had been taking that out. They had been pouring cement and shoring up the foundations. And the very next year after that that I came back, the outside was almost finished, like, all, like within a click of a fingers. And before we get to Acts chapter 2, oh, and there is some good news in Acts chapter 2, friends, when we get there. But before we get to Acts chapter 2, we get a first row seat at God doing the excavation work. Put yourself in the shoes of the disciples for just a minute. They had left everything to follow Christ. In their mind, their idea of following Christ was, he's going to ride in on a white horse and depose Rome and we're going to sit next to him uh, in glory and all these sorts of things. They had all these weird and wonderful ideas and they were fighting about who was going to sit on the right hand and on the left hand and, and all these things. And Jesus spoke about the kingdom for three years and these guys just didn't get it. Then Jesus dies and they see Jesus on the cross and they think, all is lost, right? Peter says, very holy statement, I'm going fishing. (laughs) But what brings us to Acts chapter 1 is over a course of weeks, Jesus has appeared to them and he's began to speak to them about the kingdom of God and the penny is beginning to drop and they're beginning to see all this stuff that Jesus has been telling us for years. now, Now I get it. The Gospels tell us that after his resurrection, they didn't understand these things, but after he was raised from the dead, they understood these things. And there's an enormous difference in the life of the disciples, but every one of them is asking probably the same question we are. What next? We hear you promising the Holy Spirit, but what does that even look like? I give you this guarantee. Whatever picture they had in their mind, it didn't come in the way they thought it was going to. I guarantee you, God never moves how you frame it in your mind. (laughs) Now to him is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask, think or imagine. And I want to encourage everybody here this morning, because I strongly believe that there is a moment in time when God will visit. The question I have before we go any further is, will you be in the upper room when he does? Let's read the first few verses that bring us to a starting point. 
In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Oh, how God sometimes puts us in his waiting room. Anybody ever been in God's waiting room? I bet you every hand goes, yeah, everybody's like, I've been there. It's kind of like anybody that flies often enough, uh, it's kind of like you, you take off from one point, you get to the next destination and you're just about to land and they put you in a holding pattern. It's kind of like, I know where I'm going, I know where I want to be, I think I know what it looks like, but the problem is they put you in a holding pattern. And we get frustrated in the holding pattern, right? We don't understand the holding pattern. We, we can't, it doesn't compute. But the reality is that the pilot has said to the uh, air traffic controller, and I'm not an aviation expert, but he's probably talked to the air traffic controller and he said, listen, I'm going to have to put you in a holding pattern. There's a whole lot of stuff I've got to prepare before you can land. That's what's going on in the lives of the disciples. How many people here like the waiting room of God? God's waiting room. These guys are in God's waiting room. Jesus has said, wait. I love that word wait because it means to await with an expectation. That God has placed an expectation in their heart. And I pray in this room that God would drop an expectation in our heart. Do we expect God to move? Do we, do we expect God to show up? Is there an expectation and an anticipation in our hearts? Because that's what they found in the upper room. There was an expectation. There was, a, there was an anticipation that something was going to happen. Isaiah, if you read Isaiah chapter 6, you will read of a man that says, in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord. That guy served in the temple every day and God showed up and says who will go and Isaiah says here I am Lord send me and then God says well here's what I've got for you to do and then Isaiah says how long? (laughs) God places us purposefully in the waiting room. There's a number of reasons why he does it. One of the reasons is to sift and to sort and to rearrange our priorities. A little bit more about that as we come to the upper room, but sometimes God places us in the waiting room to test our faith. Uh, If if our Christian life was like a series of uh, plane trips from airport to airport, uh, it sounds a little bit like this. God puts us on the plane, tells us to take off, gives us the bearings, but doesn't really tell us where we're going and when we're going to land. It's kind of like I'll let you know. God places us in his waiting room sometimes to unearth, to dig down into those motivations. What really motivates us? What what are we really driven by? Maybe he needs to dig some stuff out in our lives. And by the time the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, these guys are ready. These guys are empty. God's done a work. We always pray God fill us, right? God's waiting to fill us. The question that I have this morning is, are you empty? I'm going to answer this question in a moment, but I want to sow a seed for you to begin to think about. Picture Peter in John 21. He has seen the risen Lord. The whole rooster thing's happened. Uh, Nobody's talking about it anymore because that's kind of, we don't talk about that stuff anymore, Peter. That's okay. But, But picture Peter in John 21. And then picture Peter in Acts chapter 5. 
Come on for a minute. He's walking down the street and his shadow falls on people and they are hit. What happened to Peter? Recently, I was, I was reading the book of Acts. I read it and I've got to go back and read that again. What happened to Peter? Something happened to Peter and the reason I began to ask was if we dig beneath the surface of Peter's life, we're going to find that Peter was just as broken as everyone else in this room. He was just as flawed as everybody else in this room. He wasn't super anointed or any of those things. Something happened to Peter. And I pray that that would happen to us. Let's keep reading on. God places us in his waiting room. We're going to see a pattern. A couple of things we need to know as we work our way forward. We're going to see a pattern. I've had many people say that, you know, unless the dead are being raised and the sick are being healed and nothing's happening, we need to be careful about saying that because God is always working. John Piper highlights it gloriously when he says, at any moment in our lives, God is doing 10,000 things of which, if we are fortunate, we may be aware of three. What we see in Acts chapter 1 is God is working. God is doing a very deep and profound work. He often does his deepest work while we're in a holding pattern waiting for him. Here's another thing you'll find in the book of Acts. The church gathered, the church met. There is no record in the book of Acts that anybody was healed or raised from the dead or or set free from demons inside church. Before you put in an ad in the paper for positions vacant, (laughs) bear with me for a moment. What we do see is this pattern. We see that when they gathered, they prayed and the place where they were was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they went out to the street and people were getting healed, people were getting saved. Greatest miracle God does today is he saves people. Jesus did not come to make bad people good, Jesus came to make dead people live. Greatest miracle that happens today is when somebody is found of God and their eyes are open. Still the greatest miracle that happens today. And so here we see a pattern that before God sends his church to the world, He sends his Holy Spirit to the church. Well, do we think we're going to go out there and save and raise people spiritually from the dead in our power? It's not going to happen, friends. He told them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. I don't know about anybody else, but I hate waiting. Anybody else here like waiting? No, definitely not. I think that's an amen. Wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you heard from me, for John baptised you with water, but you will be baptised with or you will be baptised in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That word baptised is massive. The word baptised does not mean solely that you will speak in other tongues. That's not what that word means. There is uh, the beautiful blessing of speaking in another language and a prayer language. And if that's not you here this morning, then I would simply encourage you to prayerfully seek the Lord for that gift because it's a wonderful gift. And it is uh, part of the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But I asked you earlier, what's the difference between Peter in John chapter 21 and the Peter that is in Acts chapter 5? In John chapter 21, Peter has the Holy Spirit. And I'm here to tell you this morning, friends, I am no longer comfortable and I am no longer content to merely have the Holy Spirit. I pray that the Holy Spirit would have me. That's the difference with Peter. 
This isn't something that happens over a long period of time. That's sanctification. We go through a process and the Holy Spirit does a work of sanctification in our life. But baptism can happen in the blink of an eye or it can take an extended period of time. Uh, The best way to understand what does this baptism mean? Uh, Does anybody like pickled vegetables? I've used this analogy before, but it describes it beautifully. Uh, The process of pickling vegetables. A lot of people went, no. The process of pickling vegetables. First part is you take that vegetable and you dip it momentarily in boiling hot water. And what it does is it softens the vegetable and then it opens the pores and then you dip it into the solution of vinegar. And what actually happens then is it draws in the vinegar. By the time you come to take that little gherkin or whatever it is out of the jar, it still looks like a cucumber on the outside. If you were to look on the inside, it still looks the same. But that vinegar has now permeated every atom and molecule of that vegetable. That's baptism. When the Holy Spirit so saturates us, that was the difference for Peter in Acts chapter 5. For John baptised you with water, Jesus said, but you might be, could be, if you're fortunate enough, if you're anointed enough, if you're in ministry. He didn't say any of those things. He said, you will be baptised. With or in the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. See what the Lord does? How many days was that again? Not many. Uh, We're going to see in a moment that God doesn't work according to the clock at the back of the room. And so I've taken a note from God now. And when I'm preaching, I don't, I don't allow myself to be governed by the clock in the back of the room. And, and everyone said, you knock yourself out, Pastor. We're still governed by the clock in the back of the room. <laughs> I want everybody in this room to grab this if you can. The promise for the baptism in the Holy Spirit is for every person in this room. It doesn't matter what the colour of your skin is. It doesn't matter how educated you are. It doesn't matter whether you've been to Bible college. It doesn't matter whether you're called into ministry. What matters is, will you be in the upper room surrendered and empty? You see, Paul was baptised in the Holy Spirit, but he underwent sanctification. Let me, let me show you this. Paul, Paul was so heavily saturated with the Holy Spirit that he used to lay his hand on handkerchiefs and they take them back and people were healed, put them under their pillows and, and people were healed. It happens today. People are healed in churches today, praise God. But we need God to send the Holy Spirit and his fire on the church so that it flows out. And, and Paul, we see a small note. In the book of Acts, you'll see that Paul goes on a missionary journey with Barnabas and John Mark. John Mark writes the Gospel of Mark, and and almost the first city they get to, John Mark says, this is too hard, I'm out. I'm going home, I'm taking my bat and ball, I'm going to play cricket somewhere else. And then it comes to the second missionary journey, and Barnabas says to Paul, hey, listen, I'll go get John Mark. Paul says, no, 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 don't bring him. I want nothing to do with him anymore. You can leave him. It's such a divide between them, was it? that Barnabas and John Mark go one way and Paul and Silas go the other. Sounds pretty hard, right? But have a look at what the Holy Spirit has done slowly in our work of sanctification over a long period of time. Uh, By the time we get to the epistle to Timothy, which he writes from prison, he says to Timothy, he says, bring me the parchments and bring me John Mark, who was useful to me in the ministry. 
Jesus had softly, softly done a work in his heart over a long period of time. That's not baptism. What I love about waiting is, waiting means you're eagerly expecting and anticipating to receive something, not manufacture something. We have to be very careful that we don't get out in front of God and try to manufacture or try to drum anything up. Our calling is to wait and to receive. Every morning I go to get my cup of coffee. It's nothing religious. The Holy Spirit just tells me every morning you need coffee. On Tuesday mornings, I need three. (laughs) But every morning, if I go to the guy that serves me coffee and I give him a full cup and say, I want coffee, I'm not going to get a whole lot. But if I take an empty cup and say, fill me up with the good stuff, the nectar of heaven, (laughs) he's he's become my drug dealer, for want of a better term. (laughs) (laughs) And so I pray that everybody in this room would be found in the upper room, not with a full cup, but with an empty cup saying, Lord, fill me. Here I am, Lord, fill me. Here I am, Lord, take me. As I wrote this morning, not my will, but your will be done. Let's read on. What does the upper room look like? We'll get there in a moment. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Because <laughs> they've been learning about the kingdom. He said to them, verse 7, it is not for you to know the times or seasons. I love that. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed. And, and I firmly believe that this church, I, I, I believe this for individuals in this church, and I believe it corporately, that we are coming into another season. That God has done his pruning work, that there has been a, there has been a cutting back, that there has been some hard times of God doing his pruning work, but we are coming into a new season of spring when the fruit will blossom. Praise his glorious name. It's not for us to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Verse 8, but you will receive power. We all love this verse, don't we? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Awesome words, has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And this morning as we unpack this, the word to receive power, that word in the Greek is dunamis. It's where we get our word for dynamite, and it's explosive power, and it speaks about operating in God's ability and not ours. You will receive a whole new ability. Ability to do what, though? To be a witness. Uh, for those that have ever heard this, has anybody ever heard the saying, Dr. Livingston, I presume? That's actually true. Dr. Livingston spent many years in Africa and uh, had gone back and forth under much hardship. Uh, The reason the gospel is so prevalent in Africa now is because of the roads that were forged uh, through God's work through Dr Livingston. But a man, a journalist by the name of Stanley, goes to find him to interview him. The testimony of Stanley was this. He says, I felt that had I spent any more time in the presence of Dr Livingston, I would have been compelled to surrender my life to Christ. And yet, he never mentioned it. He never preached the gospel, but he said, had I been there that much longer, I'd have been compelled to give my life to Christ. I want to be that kind of witness for Christ. Where people that are around me will say, had I spent any more time with that guy, I'd have started drinking coffee, 
I'd have started fishing and I'd have been compelled to give my life to Christ. You see, being a witness, we will receive power to be a witness, to live a testimony to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. That's uh, the message that the first church had was not this formulated gospel script. What they had was they went about, it says, preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Only weeks after he'd been laid in the tomb and they couldn't find the body, they're preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be, not do, there's there's no list here, you will be my witnesses. Verse 9, and when he had said these things, as they were looking, greatest political statement in scripture, and when he had said these things, they were looking on and he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. The ascension of Christ is the greatest political statement. Why? Because there is no authority above his authority. There's no political leader, no, no earthly ruler. There is no authority in heaven or on earth that is above the authority of Christ. He said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Come, Lord Jesus, come. I don't watch the news all that often, but every time I do, I I finish watching the news with, Lord Jesus, please come. Verse 12 now. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. They're doing just what the Lord told them. And when they had entered, they went to the upper room. We'll get to chapter 2 next week, but they went to the upper room. Have a look at what happens when they get to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Glad they made that distinction. Verse 14. They were in the upper room. This is a really really important verse. All these with one accord. What I began to realise when I was reading particularly Acts chapter 1 and the rest of the book of Acts, what I began to realise is I wonder whether we're actually waiting for God or whether God's actually waiting for us. Maybe God's already told us, you know what, when all of you guys are of one accord... You see, when the church or the body of Christ, when we are one accord, we don't care whose name's on the door, right? We don't care who's getting the accolades. We don't care who's doing what. What we care about is the kingdom of God. We care about advancing the kingdom of God. That, that term, one accord, you will read it many times as you work your way through the book of Acts. But the best way to describe it is this. I'm not very musical. I'm still waiting for my chance to worship team. Maybe I need to be baptised in something before they give me a chance to... (laughs) But all these with one accord, and one accord... uh, Picture this for a moment, if you will, a room full of pianos that are all playing exactly the same music in exactly the same key, in exactly the same timing, but every one of those pianos are not tuned to one another, they're tuned to one outward source. And so what this looks like is a body of believers who have the same vision, the same mind, the same heart, are all unified in one accord and we're all being tuned by the Master. Here's a revelation this morning. Jesus doesn't need your help to tune the person next to you this morning. 
all these with one accord were... Uh, I'm not sure if anybody was here a few weeks ago when Liz showed the clip of Wayne Cadero. Wayne Cadero was speaking about a trip to the Chinese church and, you know, guys had travelled 13 hours to be at a meeting and sit hours on a hard wooden floor and listen to Wayne Cadero speak and, and they had asked him, you know, what, well, can you go back and pray that our church will be like your church? And, and he says, no, 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 no. He says, I'm going to go back and pray that our church will be like your church. He says, because if we have to travel any more than an hour, we're not coming. And if we don't get nice padded seats in air-conditioned rooms, then we're out of there. If the guy speaks for any more than about 45 minutes, we want our money back. But I can remember one of those conferences that I went to. I was having lunch with a group of pastors, and many of them were talking. And they said, you know what, what is the difference between the church today in the West and the church of the first century and the conversation went round and round. I said, the answer to that's quite simple. I said, it's found in one word in the book of Acts, devoted. All these with one accord were devoting themselves. Devoted means to persevere passionately despite. All these were with one accord and they were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. What does the upper room look like? It looks like a group of believers passionately pursuing Christ in one accord, devoting themselves. And so I was challenged when I read those words because I began to ask myself, how devoted am I? Is it really that much harder to get up a little bit earlier? Is it, is it really too much to ask to, to, see, to come to prayer meetings, etc., etc., etc.? The first church met every day. Uh, people say, I want church like it was in the first century. Well, let me describe that briefly for you. Uh, a Sunday in the first century sounded a bit like this. As the sun was coming up, everybody would make their way to church. See, it's six o'clock next week. Uh, they would make their way to church uh, and they would break bread and have fellowship together and they would listen to the apostles' teaching and they would pray all day, culminating somewhere in the evening as they had their final meal together and went home. I'll bring the bread, it's already here. (laughs) So I wonder this morning, I wonder this morning, is God waiting for us? You see, what I love about Acts chapter 1 is we find 120 people in the upper room. 120. And they radically turned their known world upside down for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Radically. And the whole time we're reading this, God is doing a preparation work and he's doing a positioning work. What we find as this chapter finishes is that they, they know that they must find somebody to replace Judas. You know, that guy that we, nobody talks about anymore, Judas. But the interesting thing was they decided we have to find somebody that's been with us since the beginning. So it's not just 12, right? Matthias was chosen from among the ones that had been with them from the beginning. And if you read to the end, this is what I love about how Scripture highlights something very beautiful. If you read to the end, you'll see that in deciding who was to replace Judas, they cast lots, which means to roll the dice. 
And you can read that and go, these guys are rolling the dice on who's going to be the disciple and who forms the church. This is what I love about it. This is how glorious God is. God meets people right where they're at. And I love that. Because uh, casting lots was found all the way through the Old Testament. You'll find it in the book of Jonah. They're, they're casting lots to find out why the, the water's turned up, who's responsible for it. It's the casting lots. And they often found the answer. But the, I actually think this is a very faith-filled action because what they're saying is God controls every roll of the dice. So they're trying to determine what is the will of God, who is going to be next. And, and I, I used to work in a casino. The odds are that those dice are going to fall wherever they want to, but God was in control. Matthias was appointed. But what I love is this is the last time in Scripture anybody rolls the dice. Because the next thing we read is the Holy Spirit fills them. Then we read phrases like this, it seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit. I wanted to go to such and such, but the Holy Spirit prevented me. We leave chapter 1 with 120 believers in the upper room. We leave chapter 1 with God digging and laying the foundations. And part of the privilege of being a pastor is that for the last six years that I've been here, I've seen God do an excavating work, not only in us as a church, but also in the lives of individuals where he's, he's taking out and he's preparing and he's positioning. And that excites me with expectation, anticipation for what God is going to do. We're about to go into Acts chapter 2 and one of the most important words we will find in the very first verses of Acts chapter 2 is the word suddenly. When they least expected it, at a time they least expected it, in a way that nobody thought, the Holy Spirit came and revolutionised their lives. This morning, I want to close with an invitation the second invitation for the morning. I close with an invitation to everybody here and asking, will you join me in the upper room? Will you come with no agenda? Will you come with devotion? Will you come surrendered and empty and say, Lord, fill me? We need the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't need another program. We don't need another formula. We don't need another denomination. We don't need another translation of the Bible. We don't need another systematic theology. We need hearts and lives that say, you know what? Lord, have your way in my life. Sometimes that's painful. When God gets the excavator out, right? And all that rubble we've held on to for so many years, God gets the excavator out and starts backing the trucks up, right? And it's painful. Lord, as we sit here this morning, I am thankful. I am so thankful for the promise of the Holy Spirit. 
I'm so thankful that this isn't reliant on us. It's not reliant on our wisdom. It's not reliant on our power. But the power of your Holy Spirit as we sit here, Father. I pray that you would empty us. I pray that you would prepare us. I pray that you would continue to relay the foundations in our lives, but I pray above all that each one of us would know in fullness that term, baptised in the Holy Spirit. Father, your waiting room is uncomfortable at times. Sometimes it can be confusing. Lord, I pray, fix our eyes on Jesus. Father, we are thankful for the blessings we have in you and in the Holy Spirit. Fill us, I pray. Father, we ask these things in the wonderful and glorious name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.